podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Bosco's Boys Classico, we're back, and on the mic, thank God, we've had a long run of Skype shows, which is fine, but the quality suffers a little bit, it's nice to be face-to-face again, drinking beer, and back on the mics. Yep, we're drinking uh, Alpine Folklore from uh, Double Shift, it's a, uh, I think it's like a juniper and cranberry IPA, Uh, it came out around Christmas, I think they brew it through the uh, winter season, it's quite delicious. Um, it's good to be back live and in person. Know what else is great is Tix Blitz. It's the official ticket provider of the Armchair Media Network. It's unlike any other ticketing service out there. Do you want not want to know why? They don't sneak these stupid fees in there. You go to some of the unnamed competitors. You go to checkout. All of a sudden, you're trying to go see K State KU in a couple weeks. Thirty bucks more than you thought you were going to pay. No. Yep. Not tick splits. You see, you see, ninety six bucks on there. That's what you're paying. Uh, and Grant locked Someone his brother's splits? brother out. I'm going to keep talking about tick splits though. Uh, you're not paying those unnecessary fees. You get to go to the sporting event, the Broadway show, you know, the concert, any of that that you want. You can do it at tick splits. If you use our promo code Armchair, you get five percent off the total ticket, which then makes it the cheapest ticket out on the secondary market you know at tick splits it's guaranteed sales guaranteed emotions and uh if we want to talk about emotions <laughs> k-state 53 texas a&m 65 not good chief Woof. um so let's get started um we're up 30 to 26 in the first half and even that wasn't very inspiring because i believe we should have really put it down on Bruce Weber said multiple times in his media post-game uh, press obligations that K-State should have really put it away in the first half. At one point, K-State was up 28-20, to 20, and then A&M ended it on a 6-2 to run. So let's, you know, it's not quick take, hot take, but what were you thinking uh, after that first half? Um, that I had seen this many times before. Never really felt comfortable. You know, we shot 32% from the field. Horrible, again, from beyond the arc. 22%, 7 of 31. Um, allowed Texas a to shoot 51%. Just just not good. And you could see it. It Fan fan tweeted out that this feels like Tulsa all over again, and, and he was right. I mean, I just never felt comfortable. Um, I've got quite a rant later that, you know, we can just jump right into now if you want to. Yeah, if, if if you want to, we can. I I, w- I would just I was just gonna put out. We ended up only scoring twenty three points in that second half, giving up thirty nine, and that's just not a winning combination. So let's let's hear it. Definitely let's, not let's good, especially rant. you know, touching on that is where we where were we defensively? We you know we hang our hat on being an elite defensive team, and giving up thirty nine points in the second half to a really really poor Texas A and M team is pretty inexcusable, but. I assume you put insert Grant rant here, which I assume you want me to take credit for 
feeling bad about this game. One, I can't take full credit because, you know, while pretty much every fear I had was true and vindicated, I did not stick to my guns, and I predicted K-State to win. Need to stop doing that, but <clears throat> I'm so wishy-washy on my picks. But, you know, everything about this game just reeked of a disappointing loss to me. Pointless, um, random non-conference game and to a terrible SEC team amidst a red-hot conference start. Not start. Red-hot conference five-game win streak that put us at the top of the table. It just screamed to me, you know, we think we're really good and we're going to come in and, you know, this is going to be easy. But, of course, we laid an egg. And looked like a YMCA squad for 40 minutes. And Bruce is definitely right, I think. We had – that is a game that we should have put away in the first half. But, you know, it's a game like, you know, we just didn't have that killer instinct at all. We didn't have the killer instinct that put us top of the league, that put us back on the national media map. And, you know, it was the definition of a lackadaisical game. It really was Tulsa all over again, but it was worse, honestly. I mean, it was one of those games where, you know, it's funny because what were we up, six to eight points – and that never felt safe, but when we were down six to eight points, that felt like an impossible deficit to overcome because offensively we were just so impotent, and it's just, I don't know. Overall, massive disappointment, reality check that hopefully gets us back on track quickly because we got a very similar game right around the corner against a similarly hapless Oklahoma State that's on the road. I think they did beat they did. South Carolina. Are, who is KU and us the only teams that did not win yesterday? No. Uh, oh, West Virginia. West Virginia. Okay. But, you know, if the only real positive to take out of this is that it was not a conference game, let's say that was Oklahoma State that we lost to in that fashion and we had KU up next, I would feel much, much worse. But make no mistake, it's a bad, bad loss. It absolutely affects the most important aspect of the season, which is NCAA tournament seeding, which is the only thing I wanted this year was to improve our seeding from last year. And losses like that, you know, keep you around that 8-9 seed rather than, you know, bumping you up to a 6-7 seed, which is, you know, that 8-9 seed is Russian roulette in the tournament. You don't want that. So that's my fear. It's just not good. Yeah, so on that, uh, Mark, if we want to stay on the doom and gloom, I'm going to try to bring us back a little bit here after a while. Um, moving forward, K-State fans really need to be be big Texas A&M and Tulsa fans moving forward because they're still on the back end of that tier two, uh, you know, power ranking on the net ratings. If you see those two teams slip to a tier three, having two tier three losses on your resume, that could dock you a full seed. You know, we could end up, you know, rolling through this year being worthy of a four seed. But if all of a sudden those two teams fall back, you're a five seed or six seed, et cetera, et cetera. So there are no bones about it. Having those two losses on the resume is – it's not ideal. It's not ideal. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that game in a larger sense here in a bit, but I want to talk about some of the individual player performances. Um, it, Dean Wade, first off, he was our leading scorer. If you look at just at a stat line, you would think, oh, you know, it wasn't bad. I think he ended up with 17 points. Shame on me for not putting it in here. Um, and he, he actually had one of the better field goal per percentage performances by the team. But during that run that A&M made that got to the point where we were not going to come back, Dean Wade went 0 for 6. And some of those were some uh, some wide open shots, a couple wide open threes, that mid mid-range jumper. 
uh, right in the middle of the zone that he likes so much. Talk about Dean Wade's performance last night, and then does that 0-for-6 stretch when we needed him most scare you? It definitely does, but I don't know. I mean, that was across the board pretty much. And the thing about Dean's performance yesterday was that, you know, he was getting himself into good positions, and he was being aggressive. He was shooting a lot like we want him to, but, you know, he was just not making those shots. And... (coughs) That's really the story when it comes to us attacking the zone. Um, I see see this over and over and over again. There's like this narrative that Bruce has no idea how to beat a zone, but frankly, I think he does. I mean, we attack the zone how you're supposed to attack a zone. We're just not making the shots. We're flashing to the middle of the paint. We're moving the ball well. We're not just swinging around the around the perimeter. Bruce is attacking the zone. It's up to the players to make those shots when they're in the position. So it's just. It's annoying everyone saying that, you know, I mean, it's true. Everyone should probably play zone against us because we're not a great shooting team. But for people to say that, you know, Bruce is an idiot and he doesn't understand how to beat a zone, I mean, he's been coaching for, like, what, 30 years? He knows how to attack a zone. We're, we're getting our best player into the middle of the paint, taking 10-foot jumpers uncontested, and he's just missing. I mean, what else are we supposed to do? That is worrisome, though. you got to have players like that step up. You would think – preseason Big 12 player of the year would be able to take over a game on the road against uh, less than half empty gym, 7-10 and 10 Texas A&M team. I mean, yes, you want Dean to step up and take over in that situation. Sure, he was our leading scorer, but when we needed, when we needed our seniors the most to hit those shots, they weren't hitting them. Yeah, uh, another guy that he's been so hot and cold, so up and down, I've had to – backtrack my co- my comments on this guy a couple times this season but then he has a game of this quality McCall Maywean played for 17 minutes and he went 0 for 4 he didn't get a single uh offensive rebound he got two defensive rebounds no assists turned it over a couple times um wasn't very effective on defense you know what what was up with McCall Maywean I you know, you, you you see the flashes from this guy, and it's probably even more than anyone else on this team where you see some of the highs, but then you get games like this where he is utterly ineffective, and it was versus a team we should have been able to exploit down low. Well, it just accentuates how important Mac is to our success, and it kind of, you know, it shows to me at least that <clears throat> Mac is it, you know. He's our only guy. So if he's off, if he's having an off day, it's nailed on that we're going to get basically little to no production from the inside, which is a huge, huge problem. And it sucks for Mac because it puts so much pressure on him. If he's if he's off at all, we're in serious trouble because we're not getting really anything out of Trice. We're not getting anything out of Stockard really in terms of point production. So I feel for the I feel for Mac a little bit because. <laughs> There's got to be an immense amount of pressure on him because he's literally our only big guy that is worth a damn at this point. So it's frustrating because I think he's a you know he's a really solid player, but to expect him to just be perfect every single game is kind of unrealistic. And I feel like if if he had if we just had a second guy that could take a little bit of a load off of him, I feel like he would probably play better. But 
not good. I mean, that line says it all. 0 for 4, two rebounds, no blocks, two turnovers. You got to be better than that. <clears throat> so uh, l- this isn't on the script, but I do want to talk about how uh, disappointing it is that throughout all this time, uh, Bruce Weber, and, and we've talked about how you know players have developed more, and we probably didn't give DJ Johnson enough credit for his development throughout his career. But if you really look at all the big guys Bruce Weber has brought in, um, it's kind of DJ Johnson and then, you know, Mac. Take both of them however you want, but it is just those two. And next year when you're losing Dean Wade, you're losing Barry Brown, you're losing Kamal Stokes, you're going to need Mac to be scoring 15 points a game. And then if he's not on, like a game like last night, you don't have anyone – on the bench who can give you that. I mean, I think you have Montavious Murphy coming in uh, as a prep prospect, but he's not going to be a instant production guy in the Big 12. How much of Bruce's failure to really recruit, uh, not even quality bigs, but just serviceable bigs at a Big 12 level, how much of that is kind of a stain on his recruiting record where you see him bring in, you know, quite a few guards who have been difference makers, but him just not being able to find guys down low. Yeah, it does feel like Bruce is better at finding guards that fit his system well. Um, And this is a concern that I've had with Bruce for a while. It just doesn't seem like he has an eye for a big man or doesn't seem like he can develop big men. Obviously, you know, we touched on DJ. We didn't give him enough credit for that. He had, you know, major improvements throughout his career, but... It's uh, yeah. I mean, that is something that's definitely worrisome. We have literally no other production down low aside from Mac, and I cannot think of another big man in Bruce's time at K State that was really serviceable at all. Um, I'm tr- I cannot think for the life of me. We lost a freshman that was six ten. Maurice. Maurice. That was a massive loss. Retaining players has also been a, a bit of a stain on Bruce's time here, but. Man, if we had Isaiah Maurice right now, that would be so helpful. But, yeah, it's definitely worrisome, especially next year. That's going to put even more pressure on Mac. so doesn't look good for him. Yeah, another guy uh, that we'll, we'll touch on real quick, and uh, the C- Coach Lowry, he spoke with Matt Hall from KSO, and he mentioned this guy and was saying it takes junior college guys a lot longer to – uh, get up to speed for Big 12 play. So, fingers crossed that Austin tries figures it out next year. Because after not playing for a couple games, he ended up getting five minutes. He only had two rebounds, which, you know, he was supposed to be this guy who could get ten rebounds in five minutes. And and that's <laughs> that's hyperbole. But, you know, he was billed up as this elite rebounder. But he only got two in those five minutes. No blocks. Didn't get any points. And he, too, had – three turnovers in that five minutes like yeah yeah. I mean I hate to say it but he's been a major failure thus far he's a liability both offensively and defensively right now when he's on the court and if you can't get if you can only get two rebounds which is your bread and butter then you're you're better off we're better off leaving you on the bench I mean he's not an option offensively which is such a huge problem and he's just kind of a bot like he looks super super lost when we're on the defensive end he's just kind of a body floating around out there so I don't know he's gonna have to make massive strides if he wants to contribute which is frustrating yep and the theme of this show frustrating Xavier Sneed uh first off glad that he 
got back out there because there was a second where I thought, oh, boy, uh, this could be a real bad injury. Uh, when he came off the floor, went into the locker room, not putting much weight on his foot. Uh, luckily, he came back out there, but unluckily, another just very poor game, went one for six from the field. Um, this is this is a theme with the show. Uh, Dean and Cardi had good games, but literally you got almost nothing from anyone else. Um, one for six shooting, you're not going to win many games when you get one field goal out of ten attempts from him and McCall. No, it's a bad day at the office for all of our leaders, basically. Um, luckily, one bright spot, Cardi, um, we saw him come back to life a little bit. He shot 50%, scored 14, four rebounds, three assists and three steals. Um, just <laughs> not sure what it is with Cardi right now. He's just young. He's just a young player, and he's playing young. Super streaky, but, gosh, if we could get that Cardi consistently – would be huge. He yeah. was the only one that really just had any effort, it seemed like. I mean, everyone just looked so the, lazy the, and looked, careless. They did, and Dean Wade talked about this because he spoke with media after the game saying that they didn't have any good practices this week. He said they were just kind of going to going through the motions. Um, and you, you could see that even with guys like Barry Brown and Cam Soak, some guys who almost always play with fire. They almost had no urgency. And, and I mean, it showed in their games. Barry went I mean, three, for, three for nine from the field. Cam went three from, for 11 from the field. The just passion and fire that makes this team so good just wasn't there. No, and that's – I mean, that's literally the fear that I had. How are we going to get up for this game? I mean – I couldn't get up for it. How are the players going to get up for it? Obviously, they should because that's their damn job. But I don't know, man. Um, that was my fear going in, and it just kind of played out. Um, pointless, shitty team on the road, like in the middle of in the middle of a conference season. I just kind of expected that, and it sucks that it played out that way. But I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't either, and I'm going to try to put a bow on – this game was some sort of a, uh, I don't know. I, I can say calm the water. I can say positive spin. I could say glass half full, um, but but it is what it is. The first thing is when it comes to college athletics and even, honestly, sports in general, I think it is near impossible for any team, no matter how long or short the season is, is to just turn it on and uh, – be 100% all in, all balls to the wall of motion for the entire season. It is very, very, very tough. Um, does it suck? Yes. Is it is Bruce Weber getting paid millions of dollars to try to make sure that his teams don't come out flat like that? Yes. Are these – is this a team led by three seniors who should know better? Yes. But fact of the matter is you don't see it in the NBA. You don't see it anywhere in college basketball. And the difference is, is this team does not have the raw shooting ability to be able to come out there, sleepwalk, and still find a way to beat anyone, let alone a Power 5 team. A&M is not good, but they're still a team of Power 5 basketball players. And that is not a game that, with our talent level, you can sleepwalk through, not bring full emotion, still find a way to win. Um, that's tough. It's near impossible to do. And, you know, we got bit by it. Hopefully this is a wake-up call. Um, you know, the last time where they just flat up kind of gave up, and I don't know if they truly gave up, but the last time 
we really questioned the effort of this team. It was versus Texas. Uh, sure enough, it took them it took them an extra half to get it back. But uh, you know they they fought with Texas Tech, and then they had that big comeback versus West Virginia. So I'm hoping that we see that type of uh, emotional kickback because they have a full week off. I know Bruce originally was planning on giving them. I think he said three days off between now and Saturday. I don't know if you can do that uh, anymore. I think you probably need to, you know, get them back in the locker room because, you know, Bruce apparently was just chewing them out. I saw it on Twitter. I think it was Greg Woods from the Manhattan Mercury tweeted that he walked past the locker room and Bruce was using some very colorful language. Um, so I don't know if Bruce can, you know, allow them to take, you know, a couple days off or what he's going to do. I'm going to trust him. I think they're going to get back versus Oklahoma State. In fact, of the matter, for better or worse, yes, this could end up hurting our seeding. But we still have everything that we want in front of us for this team. They can still compete for the Big 12 when it's all said and done. They could still get a top three seed. They can be playing in the Midwest Regional. They could be playing in Des Moines or Tulsa. Everything is still in front of this team as long as they get it together and – avoid everyone checking out on the exact same game because fact of the matter i think texas texas a&m would finish dead last with a bullet in the big 12 so if we bring this effort man for man again we are going to lose to anyone in the big 12 your hope is that somebody doesn't do that i mean you know god love cardi uh, he didn't do that, but he's not good enough to lead the team by himself to a win uh, versus, you know, anyone of Power 5 caliber. So, Cardi's performance wasn't going to be enough. But, hell, if Dean Wade doesn't go through that 0 for 6 stretch, Cardi plus the game Dean was having up until that point, that might have been enough to get out of there with a win. Um things snowball for this team good and bad all it could have taken is maybe one or two more shots to go the other way maybe it clicks and they get out of it I'm not I'm not nearly as worried as most people were on Twitter and then for better or worse uh, I wasn't someone who went over the top panicking after we opened the season 0-2 I then predicted us to win seven straight granted i got the first five right <laughs> I, I didn't i didn't see us losing a and m uh, but I, you know i could see this team ripping off another big winning streak again so i'm not i'm not panicking yet i'm i'm trying this whole keeping the faith thing i i don't know i i i think they could really go for it i don't think it's time for fans to give up their dream of you know hanging a big 12 banner this year i don't i think it is all still in play especially since the darling to upset ku on espn this entire time everyone was saying iowa state i would say i would say we already beat those bastards in hilton i mean if, if we can split with ku i mean i see no reason to think why we wouldn't be able to at a minimum get a share of the big 12 the next two games are huge yeah, they are massive. Huge. Um, I mean, who knows? I might just on a whim drive down to Stillwater on Saturday. I don't know. Me and Cole were talking about that like oh, all cool. week. Well, well, we'll talk a little bit off pod. Um, well, here, here's what I think is that, um, yeah, obviously our next two games are massive. Um, at Stillwater is gonna check is gonna you know gonna be a huge gut check. We're gonna see how we respond to this loss, how we respond to adversity. But you know, I'm not panicking. I said that we know how to play against the zone, and I do believe that is something you know 
you know, it's not something we like to do, though. Um, what we like to do is play insane defenses, you know, speed teams up, get them out of their comfort zone. We like, we like to run the floor. But when it slows down, we have to work to get open shots in the zone, you know, and we're off that day, it's a mountain to climb. So going forward, if we want to have high aspirations, we got to figure out a way to attack the zone better. Or at least we need to find out a way to um, at least, you know, get something. Get something going when we're out of our comfort zone because teams are going to start throwing zones at us, that 2-3 zone, and we're going to have to find an answer for it. But going forward and th- Going forward um, into the rest of the season, let's do a heat check. Obviously, we were flying high. We won five in a row. We're tied for the top of the Big 12. Just took a bad loss. Where do you see us going for the rest of the season? You know, I I really do think we are going to get to a point where uh, we're going into the last, you know, three weeks of the season, the last, you know, handful of games with a shot at winning the Big 12. Um, I think as we're sitting here right now, I think when it's all said and done, I see us finishing 13 and five is what I'm gonna put us at right now. Wow, I, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I I think I think uh, the only game I I would maybe consider us uh, picking to lose at home is KU. Um, I mean, because it's tough. I mean, for what for whatever it is, uh, the Hawks get up for that game. Uh, there, I think I, you know, Matt Hall and the KSO crew. I asked this during one of their Q and A pods. Um, d- does the pressure that fans put on this game get to the team? Uh, they kind of just kind of put it off, saying, "Oh, you know, they probably shouldn't be Division One athletes if if that's the case." Sure, um, but they're also humans, yeah, and it's extremely and, obvious that we put way too much pressure yeah, on ourselves for KU. I, I know. So I so that's kind of where I'm at there. I think I legitimately think we can go into Oklahoma State and win. I think we I think we're gonna avenge our loss at Texas. I think we. I mean, the Baylor games are gonna be rough because they do play that zone. But again, we absolutely killed them that's the thing last year right like, we can attack the zone it's yeah. just all comes down to hitting open shots and if we start missing those early shots and we get in our own heads and it's just everything starts to go bad so but yeah, we I'm, know how to attack the zone we've seen it against yeah, baylor yeah exactly so i'm gonna i'm gonna say 13 and 5 and i'm gonna say that gets us a share of the big 12 but not outright so i i am sitting here today predicting a share of the Big 12, a banner goes up, nets come down, uh, and, uh, yeah, and a trophy comes home. So that's my official, you know, temperature check and prediction for rest of the Big 12 season. Right. So I'm, you know, I losing yesterday sucked, but it doesn't really change how I feel about this team. I think we're still, you know, a top three team in the conference. We're going to push for the title throughout the year. Um I think that's about right. Twelve and six, thirteen and five, record-wise. Um, I will. I mean, next two games are just massive. They're huge. So we'll see where we're at after the next two games. But if we can take care of business on the road and split, splitting with KU would be huge. You got to protect your home court. So we'll see. I don't. We're we're not yesterday. We're not yesterday's team. That's not. I mean, that's what we can be. It's what we can be if we don't show up with that, with our mentality ready ready to go but that's what we can be so you got us at 13 and 5 I got us at 12 and 6 13 and 5 area I still think we're on track I think we're okay Uh, you know I think we're gonna bounce back if I were to bet on it like 
I'd probably put money on 12 and 6, and I would do it at mybookie.com. Dot .ag, I mean. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, they're still rocking with us, boys25. <laughs> Y'all know the drill. Uh, they have all their fun, uh, the big game props, since we're a massive podcast that gets millions of listeners and we're not an official sponsor of the NFL. I don't think we can say the SB word without getting sued. So the big game, all your crazy prop bets, the over-unders on the national anthem, heads or tails, what color Gatorade the you know Rams are going to pour over Sean McVay if they win, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the big game is one of the most fun nights to gamble on sports. So go to mybookie.ag, use promo code BOYS25 to get it done, win a lot of money. Uh, and then, you know, throw yourself a party, get a bunch of gold coins like Scrooge McDuck and get it done. Uh, so we're going to wrap up today's episodes because uh, tons of Twitter controversy. Of course, uh, I'm at the uh, center of it, although you got a little bit of it yourself with a little mini bang of a tweet. The first one, uh, it wasn't really controversy, but it, it sure uh, filled a lot of space on the <laughs> Internet on Saturday. A lot of the airwaves in the regional media on Thursday and Friday leading up to it. So it broke during, I think during the 11 a.m. games, or maybe it was during college game day. I'm not sure when it broke. But ESPN re-upped the deal with the Big 12 SEC Challenge for six more years. Um, And it's presumably saying in January because it was a rating success, uh, got a ton of national media attention despite coaches and local media not liking it. Um, you know, I'm, I was a very vocal proponent of it being in January. I argued a little bit with our friend Ryan Reinhardt, who is the host of Ain't No Seeds podcast. It's a KU podcast. You know, if you want to listen to anything KU, uh, you know, I, I do give an endorsement. It's actually a pretty fun listen. Those, those guys are pretty good. Um, but I, I got in a bit of an argument with him. You came in and you, you put me in my place rightfully because I kept trying to argue some stuff that wasn't quite there. I tried to manufacture a little bit more uh, controversy than there really was. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the challenge as a whole? Let's not let's not talk about it being played in January 1st. Well, I mean, I get that it's all about TV ratings. You know, if we did it pre-conference, no one would watch and it wouldn't be what ESPN needs. But... I hate that it interrupts, like, conference play. I just find it kind of annoying. <laughs> but, you know, it's whatever. I'd like it if the matchups were maybe better, more interesting. Like, give me some interesting matchups. I don't care about playing Texas A&M. South Carolina. KU, Missouri. You know? Um, Iowa State, Kentucky. Like, mix it up. I don't know. I just – I don't really care about it. I'm fine that it is extended. Um Six years, it is what it is. Um, I hope that they can just mix up the matchups and make them more fun. But that's really – I don't have that strong of an opinion on it. Um, it is what it is. It's its going to be there, so we're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, um, I, I love it because – and I, I think K-State fans should love it too um, because the, the argument always is, is oh, the non-conference games aren't exciting. Oh, we're not getting big enough names – Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Well, now with the uh, Big Twelve SEC Challenge and then the Big Twelve Big East Challenge, every other year you're going to have a team from one of those conferences coming to Bramlage. And yes, I, I understand that 
nice. That is something I like, yeah. for sure. Playing different teams is fun, but it's and, like, well, really, we're going to play an old conference foe, and it's just like boring, and they suck. And, and, and I understand that. <laughs> and then I, I, have, I have an idea that I'll throw out there in the end. Um, I don't know how realistic it is, but I think it's the most realistic option to make this better. Um, but you brought up something that I do want to address because I do have it on like 99.9% authority about as good of authorities you can get that the coaches don't get to make the matchups, but they do 100% get to veto matchups because every year when ESPN puts together the original list every year, since this has been a thing, they have tried to get Texas A&M and Texas to play KU and Missouri to play and Frank and K-State to play. In every one of those instances, it is Bill Self who vetoes playing Missouri. Obvious. It is the University of Texas vetoing playing Texas A&M, and it's Frank Martin vetoing playing K-State. So there are reasons why the matchups are the way they are. They have tried to get through it. Um, They have tried to, but fact of the matter is that was part of the deal the ESPN made with the schools that, hey, we're going to play this. You guys are going to get a little extra money. We're going to be the ones making the schedule ultimately, but we do give you guys veto power. So that's why you don't get to see some of these matchups that would presumably be amazing. Maybe eventually ESPN can get in the ear of Frank Martin or Texas enough and get them to say, hey, Frank, we want you to play in Manhattan. Hey, Texas, play Texas A&M. I don't think you'll ever see KU Missouri as long as Bill Self's there. Um, But it is what it is. I understand that. But what I think they need to do, and I think it would need buy-in from the coaches, and I'm not sure if they will buy into this. I don't know if the ADs will buy into this or what. But what they need to do is announce, you know, whenever they announce these scouts. I don't know when they do it. I don't know if it's in the summer. I'm not sure when this stuff gets announced. But instead of announcing the matchups – you announce the five teams that are going to play at home, the five teams that are going to play on the road, and then after January 1, so right before conference play, you announce what the matchups are. So this way you're not going to have Tennessee, who's playing better than folks thought, West Virginia playing worse than folks thought, all of a sudden playing each other. You might have had K-State going to Tennessee this year and West Virginia going to A&M. Or maybe it would have been K-State going to Kentucky and KU going to – well. It wouldn't have been that because Katie played Tennessee yeah. in the earlier in Brooklyn. But those are the type of games that you might be able to get with dynamic scheduling. Maybe it was Iowa State at Tennessee and then we go to Ole Miss. It, regardless, you would have been able to better match up these games to give better, you know, made for TV matchups of bigger, you know, guns against bigger guns. Um, I don't really want to play Frank. <laughs> oh, I do. I, I think. Could you imagine? This is what needs to happen. Here, here's the solution. I love him too much. You know, Frank er, Jacob Pullen made the big deal about how yeah. when he goes up in the rafters, he wants Frank to be there. He wants Delonte to be there. He wants his old players to be there. He wants Brad Underwood to be there. Well, Brad Underwood's probably going to get fired from Illinois soon, so he'll have a lot of free time on his hands. But I think it's going to be one of those things where you know Frank's going to have to you know suck it up, play in Bramlage. Jacob Pullen night, his name goes in the rafters, do it pregame instead of at halftime. So that way Frank can be out there on the court with uh, Jake and bring back all these old players, et cetera. I think that is 
I think that's what's going to have to happen. And Frank's going to have to, uh, you know, buck up and come back and play us. John Curry's not around anymore. There shouldn't be any bad blood. Him and his wife come back to Manhattan and hang out for a week every summer. I mean, he's back in Manhattan all the time. He just doesn't want to have to play the team that I think deep down he still truly loves. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's what's going to have to happen. Um, but I, I don't think it. I don't think it will. I think uh, I can say that all I want, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, that makes sense. Coaches obviously have the power to veto, you know, teams on their schedule. So that does make sense. But um, I guess my my aspect of this Twitter controversy is not necessarily controversy for me, but I had a tweet yesterday that, you know, I banged a little bit, and it kind of opened me up yesterday all day to people chiming in about Bruce. And, you know, I said, this is why people are polarized on Bruce Weber, sitting through inexplicable losses against 7-10. and 10. Texas A&M team after playing our best basketball of the season, you know, just a observation, not a dig at Bruce, but all day yesterday I just get, you know, the Bruce's, the the vehement anti-Bruce people, and it's just like rant number two is coming in right now. <clears throat> Ever since I've been woke on Bruce Weber um, and the squad. <laughs> Hashtag woke. Woke on Bruce. It's become increasingly easy to spot the people that are the only thing that they care about is, you know, waiting for us to lose a game so they can hop off the bandwagon and get their pitchforks out and push Bruce out of town again. Look, this was an abominable, inexcusable performance and loss. Yes, you betcha, it was. Bad losses like this have plagued Bruce, no doubt. But Bruce is a good coach that has done a lot for our program, and he has us in a good spot. Look, I'm assuming the people that are still anti-Bruce are Frank loyalists, mostly. You know, they think we made a massive mistake, and... They never gave Bruce a fair look, and they probably never will. I was kind of on that train for a while. Let's just compare the two coaches real quick. Frank was no stranger to bad losses. Absolutely not. First year, we're 5-0 in the Big 12. We beat KU for the first time in 25 years. We lose our next game to shit Missouri on the road, blowing a 15-point lead. Should have been 6-0 for sure. That kind of derailed us. 08-09, we start 0-4 in the Big 12. We lose on the road to 18-13 and Nebraska by 22. We lose to Baylor in Manhattan by 19. Baylor was 5-11 and in the Big 12 that year. We missed the tournament. 09-010, everyone's favorite year. A team with loads of talent, swagger, experience. We lose an early, early game to a shitty NIT Ole Miss team by 12. 2010-2011, everyone knows this one. Jake's senior year, we're preseason number three. Season is plagued with terrible losses. We start the season... Awful, 16-9, and 2-5 in the conference. We're losing to unranked teams like Florida, UNLV, Oklahoma State. We get swept by Colorado, who was 500. Three losses to Colorado. I hate that Colorado team Three so losses much. to that Colorado team. I mean, look, under Frank Martin, four tournament appearances, an Elite Eight, 67% win percentages. Or percent win percentage. He's, he's good. He was a great coach for us. Loved Frank Martin. But he's gone. Under Bruce Weber, four tournament appearances, Will be five this year in seven years. An Elite Eight, a conference title, won 63% of his games. You know, assuming we do go to the tournament this year, that'll be five in seven years. We missed two tournaments, yes, but those were massive rebuilds when, frankly, the players were being dickheads and half of them left the team. I have no qualms with people criticizing the head coach. I do too. I do it all the time. But to call for him to be fired literally every time we lose is so stupid and tiresome, completely asinine, 
and it makes you and the fan base look like a bunch of stupid assholes. So we all want to be elite. I get that. We all want to be elite. I want to be elite too. We want to win titles every single year, and we should aspire to be that. And I hate the be careful what you wish for bullshit. But I do believe we should, because I believe we should always strive to be the best, of course. But right now, Bruce has us competing in the conference year in and year out, well, consistently, and we're going to the NCAA tournament consistently. I don't get it. I mean, I get being angry at Bruce for things, but look at it objectively and just stop stop asking, asking for him to be fired literally every time we lose a fucking game. It's insane. We could fire him and go back to Asbury and Wooldridge. Would people prefer that? Because that's just appreciate what we have, for God's sake. Yeah, I and, you know, I, I get that, and I'm a lot closer to you than I am to those folks. But literally up until the tournament run last year, I I was one of those folks. I mean, I think on our very first podcast as we're prepping for Kentucky, we were talking about, well, if we lose this game, uh, could could Bruce be gone? I mean, I think we both agreed that it wasn't going to happen. But, you know, that was a real emotion, I think, by both of us before we went on this run and we started really – Yes, but I we're mean, woke now. Yes, we are, we are woke. Hashtag well, what woke I'm saying is I can look and, back on that period of time that was – we were low. Those back-to-back years were, I mean, we were absolutely dreadful. And see, look, Bruce does deserve responsibility for a lot of that, but there is not a lot you can do when you have a group of players that just aren't following rules but and but leave, you know what I'm saying? But and yes, he recruited the, those yeah, players. The, the counter is he recruited those players, and then the next counter is if you take out you know, that very first year, if you look at what he does in the conference as a whole, I mean, he's around a 500 conference coach. Uh, and again, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and you know call him the the greatest ever. I'm not gonna sit right. That's say not that. what I'm doing he either. Should be fired either. I think I think folks need to have a little bit more nuance to the argument. And fact of the matter is, he's not going anywhere. I mean, you could have made an argument that oh, like when stuff really started hitting the fan and you started off zero and two, that hey, if if everything collapsed and folded like a cheap suit then, yeah, I, I could understand that. But fact of the matter, he rolled off five straight wins, three versus ranked teams. Fact of the matter is we are legit, legitimate contenders for the Big 12 title, you know, just less than halfway through the Big 12 season. Yes, at this point we're sitting he, top of the table right he, now. He's not going – he is not going anywhere. Um, it's it, – and, again, I'm not going to tell folks what to do with their time or their money. I'm not going to say, hey – Block off two hours twice a week to watch this team. I'm not going to tell you to spend, you know, a ton of money going to games. That's n- that. I, I try my best never to tell folks what to do with their discretionary time or their money. But if you're going to be watching these games and and still rooting for the failure, I mean, I've been there. I I 100 was there for a time. It is exhausting. It is not. Fun. I understand this game versus Texas it's A&M. It's not worth it. This game versus Texas A&M sucked. That game early in the year versus Tulsa was horrible. Losing by 20 to Texas at home is gross. But there's some positives. Have some fun. Being a sports fan is supposed to be fun. It's about being able to suspend rationale in your head and think, hey, on any given night, we can touch the sky. And... and supporting the university that you know so many of us went to and loved or even if you didn't go there a university that you've you know been attached to your entire life 
and support and and again i i understand that you know you can find old tweets from me and i and i this makes me a hypocrite all that stuff i understand it but it, it's just exhausting and you know the aftermath of the a&m game it's understandable but if this continues on into you know midweek because there isn't another game it's like you get about i'll give folks 48 hours you know understand it being a fan is short for being a fanatic which is like a legitimate mental disability you know so i get it i get it but you know after about 48 hours it's time just to step away and you know take a deep breath and reload and focus on the next game and right we go again yeah I mean, we, 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 there's nothing you can do about that's it that's the best part best part about being a sports fan that no matter how how often you get disappointed there's another game right around the corner um so that's all I have for that. Um, the next one, the final Twitter controversy, this is 100% all me. Um, and uh, this was going down during the game, so I, I didn't even wait until after the game. I saw a post uh, proclaiming Barry Brown I, – I, I'm not going to pull it up, but talking about how he's almost like a for sure fire uh, guy up in the rafters and then – I saw people replying to the tweet calling him a top five K-State basketball player of all time, a top ten player of all time. So I quoted the tweet, and I said that it's idiotic to think that as we sit here right now, Barry Brown deserves to go in the rafters and that he's a top five and top ten player. I then immediately responded to the tweet saying, hey, <laughs> there is a lot of season left. He could find himself you know, Big 12 player of the year, All-American list, et cetera, and that changes everything. But of course, that you know, I mean, it's Twitter. I I love Twitter. I love social media. But that fired up a lot of people. I got a ton of hate about it, and uh, you know, I understand it. Folks are saying, "Oh, he he's one of the best defensive players of all time, and he might end up being in the top five scoring." Of course, he'll go up in the rafters. And people saying it's not idiotic to think he could be a top five player if he's going to end up in top five scoring and one of the best offensive players. I understand why you get, folks are saying that, but fact of the matter is, A, scoring has changed a lot over the history of college basketball. There are a ton of stats like assists and steals that weren't even kept you know, up until like the 70s. You have a lot of folks that who are, are forgetting massive players who didn't stay four years and players that came in under better, better circumstances and didn't have to start all four years. When it's all said and done, Barry Brown will be the player who I think, I, I, and everything can change, but I think will be remembered most for this you know four-year run. But fact of the matter is he has – not yet made any sort of All-American list. He hasn't been a first-team All-Big 12 guy by the coaches, media, or any other publication. And you could make a very real argument, while he might play the best on all the teams that he's been on, but you can make arguments that he wasn't, he's not the best player amongst these teams. And before Cam Stokes' original injury, you could definitely make an argument that Cam Stokes was the better guard of the two. Uh, again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Barry Brown. He is going to be in the record books for a very long time. His legacy is going to live on for a long time. But when you start talking about top 10 all time going into the rafters, if you look at the names up there, those are first-team all-conference guys, guys that were making all-American lists, guys that were conference players of the year. Just because Barry Brown got to play 28 minutes a game 
as a freshman doesn't mean that he should be up in the rafters. That's my stance. I got a ton <laughs> of hate. Granted, just just as many folks, a lot of folks agreed with me. You know, it was getting a handful of retweets. It was getting favorites. It was getting people replying saying that I'm correct. But it really, really triggered a lot of folks. <laughs> it really did. I'm personally kind of torn on it because I love Barry Brown. I think he's a K-State great. I, I love and Barry I, Brown. I think he deserves all sorts of accolades. Um, I don't know. It does. So let's look. Let's look. We have right now for him to be a top 10 player. I think that that's you're not crazy to say that that's, you know, a stretch. There's 10 player. There's 10 jerseys right now uh, retired. So, you know, using that logic alone, he's probably not a top 10 player if unless he goes in to, you know, unless he gets his rafter or goes into the rafters. So we got Ernie Barrett, Bob Boozer, Jack Parr, Chucky Williams, Mike Evans, Lon Kruger, Orlando Blackman, Dick Nostman, Nostman, Notsman, Notsman, uh, Willie Murrell, and Mitch Richmond. So that's ten right there. Jacob Poland's going to go up a hundred percent. Michael Beasley. Beasley, gonna hopefully, is going to go up. Beasley is the greatest player that's ever uh, graced the court at Kansas State. Um, people think Rodney Magruder should go up, and I, I, I would back that. Well, and, he, and here's the thing: if if you want to throw out Rodney Magruder, because this is this is the comp that I will throw out there. I think Barry Brown, Rodney Magruder, very comparable. But here's the thing. Rodney Magruder as a sophomore made third team all Big Twelve. As a junior, second team all Big Twelve. As a senior, first team all Big Twelve and an honorable mention All American. Barry Brown got no accolades as a sophomore and last year was a second team all Big Twelve player. I mean, yes, he still has his entire senior season left to go. If Barry stays at the pace that he's that he was on, at least in that scoring streak, there's no doubt in my mind that he's probably going to be a first-team All-Big 12 as a guard. Uh, I mean, that's averaging, like, literally I, over 20 a game and being the defensive machine that he is. So let's look here. Criteria for determining the honor includes statistical achievement. He will probably be there. That That's probably che- – he checks that box when it ter- in terms of getting into the yes, rafters. Yep. He'll be top five scoring. He's the best defender probably, at least statistically, has the most steals. So he's number one there. Conference and national records. We'll see about that. Uh, received all conference, all America, all academia, all America, et cetera, character and sportsmanship. So that last one's kind of, you know, whatever. I mean, you could probably say that Barry has I don't, great character and great I, sportsmanship. I think that's, but that's stupid. That's that is stupid. But I think it's kind of stupid to put a whole bunch of weight like on, you know, random media people voting for this guy because I don't know. I just feel like there's so much bias out there when it comes to media voting. So yeah, I but, don't but know. Here's the thing: there's but also yes, there's he, also coach coaches also vote on all conference too. He didn't make first team media or coaches all Big Twelve last year. Sure. So I mean, I, and again, so if he ends up first team all Big Twelve, what do you? That no, will obviously I, I, change everything. I, I mean. It, it, it gives them a better shout, but I still think there has to be some sort of national, you know, recognition. In, in K-State's history, they've had 41 guys make All-American lists, and we have 10 guys currently in the rafters, and then Gene Taylor has said Jacob Pullen and Michael Beasley will go up there. So you have 10 guys up Gene there. Gene is elite and Gene smart. Gene is elite, and he smells great. Um, <laughs> so you have 10 guys up there plus two that are going to go up there. Um I just I just think if you look back, you have guys who were like Steve Henson was first team all Big Twelve twi- or Big Eight twice. 
He's up there in the assist numbers, and he made, I think, a third-team All-American list or maybe it was an honorable mention All-American list. He's not up there. I mean, I, I just have a yeah. hard time buying into folks just straight up saying because of scoring, he's going to end up being a top-five scoring guy. Uh, that he should be mentioned as a top 10 player. He should go in the rafters, et cetera, because there are so many different circumstances that go into that number. Um, I, I don't know. I Again, I, I don't want any of this to come away from, uh, as me, you know, trying to trash on Barry Brown. I think if you go back and listen to the preseason pods and the basketball pods that we did with Matt Hall, I was calling him, you know, the guy who's going to be the leading scorer and the, you know, the guy that was going to be remembered when folks were saying Dean Wade. You know, I, I, I a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, I, 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 I love Barry Brown. I just think that folks get so caught up in recency bias and, and just everything that surrounds that, 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 that I just get frustrated. And, of course, you know, instead of just saying stuff respectable, I call people idiots. My guess is that it's just I, the way that you said yes. it rubbed people the wrong way and people feel like felt like you were belittling one of K-State's players. But when you look at it objectively, he's not currently a top-ten player and he shouldn't be in the rafters as of now. I mean, to me, yes, he's and, like a cult hero and, at this and, point. And things, things 100% could change. If all of a sudden we end up winning the Big 12, going on another run to the second weekend, he wins Defensive Player of the Year, he's all Big 12, then yeah, let, let's do it. Put him up there. But I, I just think that that, that – the Raptors at case, if you truly look up at those 10 guys and then the two that will be up there, you know, in the next 10 years, I, I, I really think that those are the, the most elite of the elite of a very storied basketball program. And I think folks just want to throw up, you know, just everyone. And, you know, I get it. You know, you want like the guys who were there when you were in college, the ones who were there when you were inv invested up in the rafters. But just look up there and really take a second to compare accomplishments. And I think you have your answer. I agree with you, man. I don't think it's crazy, but I'm just going to try to stop, you know, calling people <laughs> idiots on Twitter. I think that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I got folks, pretty much. <laughs> I, I, I've basically decided that, you know, it, it's tough being the guy who, you know, uses stats and reason on Twitter uh, because, you know, I, I got folks who are lighting me up, pointing out the simple <laughs> fact that, you know, NFL quarterbacks who are highly paid don't go to Super Bowls. And that's about as black as wise it gets. And I lost followers because of that. Yeah. I don't know where I stand on that. I think Patrick Mahomes is literally. A un the most unique player right now. Hey, I, I think I, he's on another level. I, I really I believe hope, that. I hope I'm wrong, but we have like 15 years of data that says I'm not on that one. But this isn't a Chiefs podcast. <laughs> um, we're going to move on from that. Um, Midweek show, I'm going to put you on the spot. Are we going to try to get a guest or are we going to do a Q&A episode? Uh, because there is no game midweek, so there will be no quick take hot take. Um, shoot. Let's try to get a guest first. And then if not, if that falls through, we'll do a Q&A. Okay, well, we better try to uh, better try to get get on that. Um, if anyone does want to submit questions, use hashtag AskBosco. Stay tuned to the Twitter account uh, because we may need questions. We may need them fast when push comes to shove. I want to give a quick thank you again to our sponsors, TickSplits. Use promo code armchair for five percent off your ticket purchase remember no fees at any time and guaranteed seats guaranteed emotions and my bookie 
boys 25 for a 50% deposit bonus. You win, they pay my bookie. Do you have anything to say before we sign off? Meet me at the cat head. Love you guys.
Smartcast Network.